Amen. Good evening. We are continuing our study through Romans. As I said this morning, we're again in chapter number 13 of Romans and looking at the beginning part of that chapter that we skipped over this morning. I want to read this passage as I always do and then we'll pause for a word of prayer before we look at it. Uh, a little closer. But Romans chapter 13 and beginning at verse number 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pause for a moment and acknowledge the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to once again open up your word. And Father, we want to hear from you. So speak to us out of your word this evening, I pray. Father, help me. Be with me and strengthen and and enable me, dear God, to declare the truth of your word in a very clear and understandable way. I pray also that you prepare the hearts of everyone here. Challenge each and every one of us by your Holy Spirit, dear God. And help us to not just be hearers of the word, to be doers as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Excuse me. Our topic, as you can see on the screen there, is the Christian citizen. And uh, it's maybe a bit of an unusual topic, one that uh, we probably don't hear spoken on very often. Uh, We're looking at it tonight because it's part of the letter that we've been considering here in the book of Romans. In the earlier part of Romans, uh, the first 11 chapters, Paul deals a lot with theology and about what we believe. In chapter 12, he turns his attention to how we should behave in light of all that has happened, the transformation that's taken place in our life, how it should impact our lives. In chapter 12, he deals primarily with the impact in terms of living in community as Christians. Now in chapter 13, he turns his attention wider afield to think about how we live as citizens in the world. As I prepared this, I was reminded of an experience I had back when I was 18 and graduated from high school. I went to a Christian high school, Greater Cincinnati Christian Academy, in fact. And one of the things that happened at the end of every year was there was this national convention of a particular type of Christian school. We were part of an organization called Accelerated Christian Education. They're what we call ACE schools scattered throughout the United States. 
Well, each individual state, and at that time I was living in the state of Ohio, would have a state convention, and you would compete in all different types of things, sports, academics, you know, or maybe uh, uh, crafts, whatever. Well, I competed in speech making, and I won the national, I mean, excuse me, the state competition, and had the privilege of representing the state of Ohio at the national convention out in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I went there and I competed against all the other state winners. And uh, thankfully, God bless me, I was number one in the nation that year in speech making. <laughs> Maybe um, a preclude to what I would be doing later with my life, standing before people speaking. I never thought of the connection then. But I tell you that story because the speech that I did, I don't remember all I said, but I remember that I entitled it, Government, A Necessary Evil. And I wish I still had that paper because I would uh, be very interested to see what an 18-year-old Darnell thought about the role of government in the world. I think the title pretty much gives it away. <laughs> um, I think I would have a different view today. Well, that's what we're looking at here. What does it mean to be a citizen of the world as a Christian? And how does our Christian faith in, inform that and impact that? Well, this is what Paul is to talking about here. This idea of the Christian and government. Before we look at what he says specifically to us today, a couple of historical facts I think are helpful to keep in view. Because you need to, to read what Paul says and hear what he says through this filter of what was going on in the world at that time. Paul wasn't writing this in a vacuum, as it were. He was influenced by his day and his time and the political situation. Well, Paul wrote this during the time of Roman rule. The Roman government was in power at this time. And one of the things the Romans did is they brought a relative peace throughout their territories. Uh, this has often been referred to as Pax Romana, the ideal of Roman peace. And Roman peace greatly benefited Christianity in general and Paul in particular. So when the Romans took over territory, they established a government, but they also brought stability and peace to that region. <clears throat> And this peace really benefited Christianity. There are a number of things that this Roman peace helped to accomplish. One, it made travel possible. The Romans built many roads. And because of the ability to be able to travel, people like Paul and other missionaries were able to take the gospel far and wide. The other thing was that missionaries felt safe when using the roads. And they could spread the gospel message without fear of attack. You know, there was not lawlessness in the land where the Romans were in control. So people could travel these roads and missionaries were able to go far and wide again without fear of attack. The other thing is because there was relative peace in these areas, it was easier to spread the gospel without the distraction of war. It's hard to evangelize a people who are under the constant threat of war. Because they have other priorities on their mind. They're thinking about how can we survive or how can we fight the enemy. But the peace that the Romans brought made it easier to spread the gospel. So Christianity greatly benefited uh, under this Roman rule. Paul himself benefited. On more than one occasion, Paul took advantage of his Roman citizenship to avoid unlawful persecution by Jewish leaders. Think of it in this sense. The Jewish leaders often represented the local government, and they had power and authority. But there was a national government, the Romans who were over them, and Paul would often appeal to that higher authority when he felt he was mistreated. One example is in Acts 22, when Paul was arrested and about to be whipped. 
he then told the centurion, is it lawful to whip a Roman citizen? And the centurion was greatly afraid because that was unlawful to do. And so he got out of a whipping that time by just making it known that he was a Roman citizen. And then in Acts 25, another occasion where he exercised his rights and he appealed a decision by a lower Jewish court to a higher Roman court. So a decision was made, he didn't agree with it, and he appealed to Caesar. And so that was another instance where he actually found that being a Roman citizen and a Roman government at that time was beneficial to himself personally. So when Paul writes this to the church at Rome, he is concerned that disobedience to the Roman government would bring a reproach upon the church and hinder the work of the gospel. He was also, uh, this is the world that Paul is living in, a world where the Roman government is no threat to the Christians. And in fact, they can often find that they were very helpful to them, very beneficial to the church. So with that kind of as the backdrop, this is the world that Paul lives in, a government that in some ways benefits the church. What does Paul have to say about the Christian and government? Well, let's look again at verse number one. He says, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So he says, everyone, and he's speaking primarily to Christians, must submit themselves to the governing authorities. In other words, we must live in obedience to the laws of the land. We must respect that there is a government that's in place and give our due uh, obedience to that. And why is that the case? Well, Paul says that is the case because all authority exists ultimately by God's design, including the authority of the government. The government is not just a man-made concept. This is something that is ordained of God, that, or, uh, that humanity would organize itself and try to bring order, stability, and security to society is part of God's will. In another place, the scripture talks how God is not the author of confusion. God is a God of order and structure. And so it is God's will that there are governing bodies, that there are governments and systems in place so that the world would not just dissolve into anarchy. We need to make sure that we respect the laws and realize that they are really servants of God. So the belief that all government is evil and is not part of God's design is biblically untrue. Part of our submitting to government authorities is, you know, obeying the laws of the land also involves praying for our leaders. We need to be careful as Christians that we don't have an attitude and, and speak always just in terms of negative terms in terms of the government but that we have a sense that they have been put in that position or allowed to be in that position by God and we should pray for them. We should pray for our leaders and make sure that we show them the proper respect. Paul wasn't the only one to say this. Peter also said it in 1 Peter 2. He says, show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. It is a part of our Christian duty as a Christian citizen to be good citizens and to respect and honor those who are in authority. Paul goes on to say this in verse number two, that because these authorities exist ultimately by God's design, including the authority of the government, 
Therefore, to resist the authorities is to resist God's divine intent. And what is God's intent? Well, in verses 3 and 4, Paul says that God's intent is that through his servants, these governing authorities, evil acts are punished and criminal behavior is restrained through the fear of punishment. That's one of the purposes why God has allowed governments to exist, is to make sure that there's the rule of law in our land. Can you imagine what this society would be like if there was no rules, there were no laws, people just could do whatever they want to? You know, I know of some people who often complain of the police, except when somebody is bothering them and they're calling the police, and then the police is their friend. But we need to have these governing authorities to make sure that evil acts are punished and criminal behavior is for, uh, forbidden and, and really that people sense they shouldn't do that because there's the, the threat of punishment. In verse number 3, God goes, um, Paul goes on to say that God's intent is also that governments promote the common good. Governments have been allowed to exist by God, but they need to see themselves as servants of God. They are ultimately accountable to God. And sometimes it may seem like that doesn't happen. But as Christians, we must not be fearful. God is still on the throne. And when he thinks it's right in his own time, he can remove leaders. He can put new leaders in. He can change things. We need to just stay prayerful about it. But governments, too, need to realize that they have a responsibility to be fair and just. If you read in the Old Testament, the civil laws contained in the Mosaic Law talks often about how, that they, were to, how they were to treat the foreigner and the alien, the person who wasn't a natural-born Jew. They couldn't mistreat that person. They couldn't do them wrong. God is a just God, a fair God, and He expects us as individuals and governments as well to be fair and just. So this is what Paul is encouraging the church at Rome and uh, the churches who would have read this and even us today is to be a people that have a proper respect for government and to realize that this is something that's ordained of God and God allows them to be in that uh, situation. Verse 6 he says, this is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to government, to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And we don't do this just for fear of punishment, but he also says that we do this for conscience sake because this is our Christian duty. So what does all of this mean for us today? Well, there are three points I want to bring out here. And the first I've mentioned earlier, Christians are to be good citizens. It is not... We cannot as Christians have an attitude that this world is not our home. You know, we're really citizens of heaven. And so the, the laws of man don't apply to us. That's not true. Okay, if you're not convinced of that, just, you know, go through one of these speed cameras and try to convince the judge that that doesn't apply to you because you're a Christian. Or don't pay your taxes or something else. We have to still obey the law of the land. Although there are some Christians who actually think that. I have a, someone who's a friend of mine on Facebook and posted just this week that uh, because of the IRS scandal in the United States, she says, I'm no longer paying any taxes. That's it. I'm done with it. And she's a Christian. I started to post back, uh, well, let me know when you go to prison. I'll send you a card or something because you can't do that. You have to obey the law. And we can't say just because we're Christians, we don't have to pay taxes. Again, Turning to 1 Peter 2, this is what Peter says. Submit yourselves, 
for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to command those who do right. In other words, he's saying, you know, your local leaders, you know, maybe just a local MP, all the way up to the prime minister. You know, all of these people are to be given the respect they're due. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. As, as Christians, when we're good citizens, then we're a good witness of Jesus Christ. We don't want to have a reputation that what it means to be a Christian is to be someone who is anti-government or someone who doesn't respect or obey the laws of the land. So to be a good citizen means we are to obey the laws of the land as long as they don't violate our conscience, and I'll get into that in a moment, we are to pay our taxes, we are to respect and pray for our leaders. And I just want to emphasize that last point again. I think we should do a better job of that as Christians. Praying for our leaders. Praying for issues that are before Parliament or issues before local leaders. You know, if, if, if we're not careful as Christians, we can find ourselves complaining about how, what a terrible state the world is in, but not uh, complaining about it, but not praying about it. We need to be prayerful and take these matters to the Lord. So not only are Christians to be good citizens, but another point to be made is that your view of the role of government and the level of your involvement in political matters is a matter of personal conviction. As I've studied this, I see no biblical mandate or foundation for saying that every Christian must do this or that. There is no one particular party that all Christians must support. You know, there, you know, all Christians can't be told you must, not on the authority of God's word, you must vote or you must participate in the political process or you must do this or that. It's really a matter of your own personal conviction. But I do believe as Christians we need to be informed and educated and we need to have a real clear sense of what it is that we believe about the government and why we believe it and whether what we believe lines up with God's word. So let's look at some of the, there are many variations on this, but I would sum it down to three main views of the government that Christians hold. And you can try to see which one you identify with and also critique it in light of what we're considering tonight. The first view of government is that government is evil. Some Christians believe the government is so corrupt that Christians should have as little to do with it as possible. They believe in obeying the law, again, as long as it doesn't conflict with biblical teaching. But they don't vote. They, don't, they wouldn't ever hold political office. They wouldn't ever work for a government office or serve in the military. They just feel like, just want to completely stay away from it, you know. Don't, don't want anything to do with that. And some even go so far as to believe, which is in contradiction to what Paul says, that somehow the government is inherently evil and the ideal of government is wrong. That's not biblical. But whether you believe that you just want to have a completely hands-off position to government and political matters or not is really a matter of personal conviction. Here's the second view. There are others who believe in a strict separation of church and state. Some Christians believe God has given the government authority in some areas of life and a church authority in other areas. 
They believe God ordained the government to provide things like security and stability, you know, police, fire, military, etc., while giving the church the responsibility to care for the spiritual needs of society. They would see the church and government as being two separate and distinct entities with separate and distinct roles to play in the world and would want in no way for those two things to overlap. Those with this view may work for the government, vote in elections and serve in the military, but want to see the government have a very limited role in society. They would say that government should do only what government can do, like provide a military and nothing more. Some Christians would go so far as to say the government should not be involved in social services, you know, like health care or education or other things. That's one view of uh, the role of government and Christians' involvement with it in the world. God has ordained both. The two should never come together, completely separate. Government stays in this role. The church stays in this role. So they would not see the church as trying to influence the government or the government trying to influence the church or working together at all. And then the third type of group here is a politically active church. Other Christians believe that the church should be politically active, helping the government to enforce for good in society. They would believe in voting in elections, working on election campaigns, uh, campaigning to get laws passed that promote Christian values, etc. They believe that the church has an obligation to work to make the government reflect godly values. The kind of underlying thought or principle here is that the government can either be a force for evil or a force for good. And that is the church's responsibility to try to influence the government to be a force for good rather than for evil. So if you've ever gotten you know, uh, an email asking to sign a petition about something from a Christian organization or to go you know, volunteer at a phone bank or to donate money or to you know, uh, lobby your MP or any of these things, that all comes under the heading of a politically active church. That the church should be trying to influence the government or the state for good in this world. Which one of these is right? Which one of these is the one that Christians should hold to? The principles that scripture brings out very clearly is that we are to recognize that governments exist on the authority of God. They are his servants. We must show them respect. But the level to which you will be individually active in politics is a personal decision. I don't see how anyone on the authority of God's word can say every Christian must sign this petition. Every Christian must vote for this candidate. Every Christian must be a part of this party. That's a matter of personal conscience. But we should be educated, informed, and enlightened about why we believe what we believe and why we support the candidates that we do. Our Christian faith as a Christian citizen should be at the forefront of why we get involved in things. Too often I feel Christians either don't get involved or do get involved without really any understanding of how their Christian faith informs and inspires their political views. I think that's the main key. The third thing here, I'm sure I'm raising a lot of questions, I'm going to give you a chance to respond in a minute. The Christian is not obligated to obey laws that violate our conscience or biblical principles. Paul says very clearly in verse number one that everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. Well, what do we do? in a society where there are laws that are passed 
that contradict what the scripture teaches? What if what the government requires of us really goes against our conscience and our own beliefs of scripture? Well, we don't have to. In fact, not only don't we have to, we must not compromise our values to serve the government. The Bible does allow for us to disobey laws that are not biblically sound. I'll give you some examples of this. In Acts chapter 4, uh, the apostles Peter and John are detained because they're preaching about the gospel out in the open. And the Jewish leaders were very un unhappy with that. So they arrested them and they told them to stop and say, you are no longer to preach in this name anymore. Stop doing it. Stop evangelizing. You know, in today's terms, uh, this would be somebody doing street evangelism and the local authorities doesn't like it. Say, no, we want to be a secular community. We don't want anybody preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would you do in that case? Would you just stop preaching the gospel? Stop passing out tracts? Stop trying to evangelize? Well, what Peter and John said is, it's better for us to obey God rather than man. And they kept right on doing what they were doing. They made it clear they weren't going to stop preaching about Jesus. Was it a sin for them to disobey the authorities and to keep on preaching about Jesus after they had been warned and told by the government not to do that? No, it wasn't. They were absolutely within their biblical rights. And this is what we may be called to do as Christians from time to time. To disobey a law that is not biblically right. There are two types of laws. This is why this is, wasn't wrong for them to do. There are just laws and unjust laws. A just law is a law that is in accordance with the moral law of God. The authority that governments have come from God and they can only exercise it to the extent that they are doing so in a way that is in accordance with God's law. An unjust law is a law that is out of harmony with God's moral law. If a law is passed and it contradicts God's word, it's an unjust law. Ancient Christian theologian Augustine said on one occasion that an unjust law is no law at all because it lacks the moral foundation for existing. God's law is supreme to every human law. And whenever there is a conflict, we have to denounce the human law and, and stand for the, the, the biblical principle. So Christians are not obligated to obey unjust laws. I can't think of many examples where we are compelled to do something by the government that would violate our, our Christian principles of scripture. But there are some very obvious you know, laws that have been passed that we can't participate in. The government says this is okay to do. It's completely legal. You can do this activity. But yet, as Christians, we cannot because it violates God's law. And one very obvious example is abortion. It is legal to have an abortion. The government says you have the right to do that. And no one can take that away from you. No one can stop you. That's a legal right. But God's law says you don't have that right. And so as a Christian, I can't support someone doing that. And no Christian woman should ever have an abortion because it is fundamentally contrary to God's law. But that's just one example. There are many behaviors that the government has deemed legal. It is actually, as far as I know, I don't know Scottish law as well as I know American law, but as far as I know, it is actually legal to commit adultery. I'm not aware that you can be arrested for committing adultery and sent to prison.
Okay, but yet it does violate God's moral law. So although it may be legal to do so, we can't do that as Christians. So these are just a couple examples of things that may be legal in terms of what man's law says, but as Christians we can't partake in it because it violates God's law. I thought about another example during the Second World War. It was a crime in Germany to aid the Jews. You could be arrested, you could be imprisoned, possibly even executed for, for doing that. But yet there were many Christians who broke the law and aided Jews anyway. Because they realized that the law that had been passed was an unjust law. And they were under no obligation by God to adhere to that or, or to obey it. You may in your own personal life come across a situation where something is either legal to do but yet is biblically wrong to do and you have to make a decision to obey God's law rather than man's law. Or you might even find yourself in a situation where a government ordinance is compelling you to do something that violates your own conscience. And in that case then you have every right, in fact God would expect you to then to violate that human law. But if we do find ourselves breaking a law, we can't do it for personal benefit. You don't break the law because you think it's stupid. <laughs> you know, this is a law, but phew, that's a really daft law, so I'm, I'm just not going to obey it because I don't think it should be a law anyway. We don't break laws because we just think they're unnecessary or inconvenient. You know, there are times when I'm on the motorway and I'll notice that the, the um, speed limit has dropped from 70 to 50. And I find that very inconvenient. <laughs> but yet I can't just say, you know what? Stretch of the motorway. It should be 70. So I'm just going to do 70 anyway. We have to obey whatever the laws of, of the land are. So we just don't break laws because we find them inconvenient or we don't like it. We can only break laws when we feel that obeying this law would then cause us to violate God's law. If someone does break an unjust law, last point on this, then they must be willing to do so. They must uh, be willingly, um, willing to accept the punishment or penalty for it as well. If we feel that a law goes against our conscience and we take a moral stand and say, I'm not going to do that because this law violates scripture, violates my conscience. We can't do that and then refuse to accept whatever the penalty is. We've got to be willing to pay the penalty. Uh, one example of this is found in the scripture in, the, in um, the example of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember them? The three Hebrew boys? A law was passed that said, this statue that's built to Nebuchadnezzar, you've got to build, uh, bow down and worship it. Okay? Because he is the God of the universe. He is the supreme ruler and everybody's got to pay allegiance to him. Well, these men were servants of God. The one true God. And they knew that God had said, Thou shalt have no other God before me. And you shall worship no other God. And so even though that was the law of the land, they refused to obey it. But did they try to run and hide? Did they try to pretend that they, you know, went there? Did they go in the crowd and act like they were kind of halfway bowing and try to get away with not doing it? No. They openly refused to obey the law, but then they willingly allowed themselves to be thrown into this fiery furnace. And one of the interesting things about their experience is that when they were captured, even before they were thrown in the furnace, they were given one last chance 
Okay, now guys, we said anybody that didn't do this was going to be burned, but we're going to give you one more chance. Why don't you think about it? Are you sure you don't want to bow before you get thrown in this furnace? You know what their answer was? We don't need to think about it. <laughs> Ain't nothing to think about. We will not bow. They were willing to take the punishment. Another example is Daniel. A law was passed that says for 30 days, no one can pray to any other God other than the king. Daniel said, I can't do that. I'm praying to my God and I pray to him three times a day. He broke the law. He didn't go in his closet, in his bedroom, close the door and pray where he couldn't be seen. He broke the law openly and he willingly allowed himself to be captured and thrown into a den of lions. Thankfully, in both of those instances, God stepped in and saved them and they weren't harmed. But they were actually willing to suffer the penalty. And if we break a law, it can only be because this law causes us to violate our conscience or go against God's word. And then we have to be willing as well to take the penalty. Martin Luther King had this quote that I thought was very applicable to this situation. He says, an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and willingly accepts the penalty by staying in jail to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the very highest respect for the law. So it's not just the idea we're trying to be a lawbreaker or to just overthrow the government, but standing up saying this is wrong. And I believe in it so much I'm willing to suffer the consequences. And as you know, Dr. King was someone who often did that. You know, the law may have said that because you're a black man, you can't go and sit at that lunch counter or you can't ride on that bus or you can't march in that street or go into that store because it was wrong. He did it anyway. But when they came to arrest him, then he willingly went to jail uh, because he was trying to bring the attention to the fact that, no, not just I'm a lawbreaker, I have no respect for the law, but I have so much respect for the law that I want to show that this law is unjust and I'm willing to take whatever penalty is coming to me. So some closing thoughts on this. Why are we talking about this tonight? Well, one simple reason, because this is part of the text uh, that we've been looking at over the last several, a couple months now. Um, and it's an important topic for us. I think if there's anything, and I thought about this because every sermon I preach always has a point to it. You know, what is it? What's the response that I'm hoping that people will have to it. What, what is it that I feel God's word is drawn us to? What conclusion, you know, what action should it motivate from us? And I would say that I would hope that it would do a couple of things. One, maybe begin to have you give some serious thought to what does it mean to be a Christian citizen? Y'all citizens live here in this country, but what does it mean to, to live here in, among this world? How should our Christian faith impact what it means to be a citizen? But then also to give some thought about your own personal convictions about the role of government and you, the level of your own involvement with it. What does God expect you to do in your life? Earlier I talked about how I don't feel it's right to say everyone must be this, you know, part of the same party or vote for the same issue or do the same thing. Sometimes you'll be asked to sign a petition and one Christian might feel, you know, they all do that. And other one would feel like, mm, no, I don't really feel led to do that. And I think that's okay. In the body of Christ, there's diversity. Uh, in First Corinthians talks about how that 
Each one of us is a part of the body, but we're all given different spiritual gifts. We all have different roles to play. The same in this instance here. Not everyone is meant to run for office. Not everyone will work on a political campaign. Not everyone has the, the, the you know, desire to be politically active to the same extent. But give some thought to what God's role for you is in terms of your involvement with the local government. And then the other thing, final thought, that this brings out, it matters how the world perceives us. It does. I'm concerned that more and more the world is seeing Christians or defining Christians solely by what we're against. That's what we're known for. And we want to make sure that that's not our biggest message. That we're the people who are against everything. That's not the message of the gospel. That's not the good news that Jesus Christ came to give. Yeah, we need to take a stand. Yeah, there's some things we can't go along with. But our primary message and primary, the way the world looks at us shouldn't be, yeah, those are the people that are against everybody else. Here's what Peter said in this regard. He said, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. And in that sense, he did see us as being citizens of heaven. And we're just passing through here. We're aliens and strangers in this world. We live lives that are cross-cultural. He said, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. In other words, the, our attitudes, our desires, all of these things, we need to fight against them. Because if these things are inside of us, they will be manifested in our actions. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. It matters how we live. It matters how the world around us perceives us. And so we want to make sure that in everything we do and say and how we act, we're lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. I often have a phrase when I pray at the close of service I'll use sometime about, God help us to represent you well in this world. How are we doing? Are we as individuals representing God well in this world, in our homes, in our communities, in our jobs? Do people look at us as Christians and have a positive idea of what a Christian is because of us? Let me make it even more personal. If you were the only Christian that somebody ever met, what would their ideal of a Christian be? You're the only Christian they've ever met or ever will meet. What would they think of Christians based on your life? Let's be good Christian citizens. Amen. Bless you. Well, thank you for your attention. Let's just pause and have a moment of prayer and then I'll hand it back over to you, Graham. Dear God, thank you for your word and thank you for just the opportunity to consider this. And God, as we live in this world, help us to represent you well. Help us to show love to everyone we come in contact with to live lives that really do reflect your character and your nature and that gives people a very positive uh, ideal about what it means to be a Christian. Father, help us to make a real difference in our communities, that we let our light shine and lift up uh, the name of Jesus Christ. And Father, we do pray for this nation. Dear God, pray for all of those who are in the seats of authority, uh, those who are making decisions that affect all of our lives, those who are making decisions about laws that will be passed. Father, just pray that you would raise up some godly men and women 
who will fill some of these positions and bring a Christian influence on the land and on the political debate. Father, I just pray that you'd help us to, to love our fellow man and again, dear God, to help us to represent you well in this world. Thank you for our time here tonight and for your blessings on our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.